not only did I achieve the goals that I had before starting this podcast, just there's experiences that I got to step back from and now look at and be like, I never even thought that would have been possible. I never even would have imagined that this project would have taken me to a sanctuary where I'm surrounded by wolves or hanging out in a cabin with Temple Grand. This is Defender Radio. I'm Michael Howie, and this is Defender Radio, the podcast for wildlife advocates and animal lovers, presented by the Fur Bears. We've been working with a great Toronto-based company called T-Shirt Elephant to get a Canadian source for our shirts and sweaters at the Fur Bears. I've got some good news. The new Defender Radio tees will be available in the coming weeks. And I've got even better news. You have a chance to win one in the size and color of your choice. The winner will be chosen from a random draw of Defender Radio patrons. That's anyone who supports the show for as little as $1 per month at patreon.com slash Defender Radio. Head over to that link, available in this week's show notes, to get started. And we'll announce the winner on next week's episode. Again, that's patreon.com slash Defender Radio. We all love dogs. In my home, some of them are athletes, like Pigeon, who just won his first agility competition and is learning to play frisbee. Some of them are power cuddlers, like Monster. And some of them are like JJ, who spends most of her time keeping the evils of the world at bay. Primarily through barking at the newspaper delivery person. There are also dogs who protect livestock, dogs who help people with various types of disabilities, dogs who save lives and protect public safety, and dogs who eat tennis balls with the ferocity of a dire wolf. In our world, there are many types of dogs, each unique and wonderful. And in a 12-episode podcast series, Adam Winston has explored what makes our relationships with them so incredible. Adam has combined his passions for learning, his love of dogs, and his experience as an Air Force radio and television producer to create this journey of discovery called Dogs in Our World. Each episode features a produced interview with an expert, including a philosopher, a historian, multiple trainers and behaviorists, and even Dr. Temple Grandin. These experts all discuss with Adam the dogs with whom we share our lives, history, and homes, revealing incredible insights. The thought-provoking episodes are a wonderful chance to learn alongside Adam, whether you're a lifelong dog lover and trainer, or if you know very little about our domestic canines. Having recently wrapped the first season of the show, Adam joined Defender Radio for an exclusive, in-depth interview exploring his journey to becoming a dog person and ultimately developing dogs in our world. The excitement of nabbing conversations with high-profile experts, highlights from the season, and what he's learned about himself and the world around him through a love of dogs. How, how did you become a dog person? I think that's that's like the best place to start. Because, uh, you know, looking at your history, it's not an obvious, oh, yeah, he's, he's going to be a dog guy. Um, so how, how did you get sort of from where you were growing up, and I know you were in the military, to being a person with an interest in dogs and dog training and so on? Uh, yeah, it was, it was something that uh, I never really saw myself doing. Um, you know, I guess it. I guess the seed was first planted uh, back in two thousand six ish, two thousand six, two thousand seven. Um, after getting out of the Air Force, uh, I was a radio and uh, I was a tour manager for rock bands, 
uh, for about four or five years. That led into um, managing venues, and I lived and worked in a gigantic music venue that was on the Great Salt Lake in Utah. And um, when there wasn't an event or, or a concert or a show, I was the only person for miles. And so I asked my boss, I was like, man, it's kind of kind of lonely out here. It's kind of sketchy here at night. We'd already been broken in once. He goes, well, I'll tell you what, man, after the next show, go ahead and go get yourself a dog. I'll pay for it. I'm like, all right, great. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's so, a nice job, Burke. So I went to the pound and uh, and I came back with a one-year-old male feral chow chow. <laughs> I mean, I, I use the word feral loosely, but I'm pretty sure I was his first human. They think he was living up in the mountains the first year of his life and they caught him coming down and animal control picked him up. So I come back to the to the venue uh, with this, you know, chow and and my boss was thinking I was going to go get like a golden retriever or a lab or something. It's like, what? Oh my, what did you do? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and the dog ended up actually being one of the greatest, if not the greatest dog I've ever known. He was incredibly special. He was very well balanced. He could, you know, for a chow with limited, you know, socialization, he, you know, he, we could walk through a sold out concert. You know, we could, we could walk through a sold out Slayer show or hip hop show um, and he would just stay right by my side and never got nervous, never got anxious. People could run up to him and pet him and touch him. And he just didn't care. He was just, this is the coolest dog ever. And, and I had never, you know, my family wasn't, um, a pet family. We didn't have dogs or cats or anything growing up. Um, my grandmother in Alaska had a couple little dogs, but Rody, we named him Rody. He was the music venue Rody, the concert Rody. <laughs> um, oh, this guy get that and, in a second. And, uh. And, uh, you know, he just, just completely just, it just blew my mind. I just, I'd never had a relationship with an animal before mm -hmm. and, and I, and I didn't know the possibilities, you know, and, and what, and what this dog taught me about patience and impulse control and just caring for another life and the companionship that that dog gave me when we were out there, it was just he and I, you know, many nights it was just he and I, we were the only life forms for miles pretty much yeah. other than the wildlife. And, and, uh, I had to move to Philadelphia. Um, I got a job offer for another music venue and, and I wanted to get back to the East coast where my family lived. And I just, I, I couldn't, I just couldn't take this chow who had been living basically on a state park for all of his life to like inner city Philadelphia, you mm -hmm. know, he had a cat addiction and in Philly, there's a cat under every car. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. and, and so the guys at the music venue and, um, one of his, his friends, uh, who was a sound guy, uh, uh, at one of the clubs, um, they had pretty much adopted him, and I basically, you know, they adopted him from me and, um, it just, it stuck with me. I didn't, I didn't realize how close we were. And I mean, I would have nightmares. I would have dreams and it was, it was just crazy. I felt like I lost someone, you know, and um, that's what got me interested in dogs. And so now I'm in Philly, a totally different environment, totally different place, totally different culture. And, you know, the one thing that's constant in this world is dogs. You know, it doesn't matter what country you're in or what language people are speaking. All dogs speak the same language. And so, mm -hmm. and so I just, I just, I, I had this emptiness without having a dog in my home after, after experiencing roadie. And so in Philly, I just kind of started helping my friends and, you know, my, the local bartender, uh, you know, uh, was working double shifts and she really needed to get the dog out of the house that she just adopted. And so every Thursday I'd go over and get the dog out of the house and hang out. And that led to another dog. And before I knew it, I was kind of like the neighborhood, 
dog guy, you know, whether yeah. it was dog sitting or dog walking or, hey, you know, people would give me their key to their house. Hey, yeah, could you run over to my house, take my dog to the dog park? I'll be back in like three hours or whatever. And and so I just basically hung out with all the dogs in the neighborhood. And so instead of just having one roadie, I, you know, I got to know lots of different kinds of dogs. And and so and so that just the spark that that roadie lit um, was just just be, kind of became a, a, a passion um, not, and not really a passion about dogs, but a passion for learning about dogs. Mm-hmm. You know, I just think the thing I'm one thing I'm always saying in, in my podcast, Dogs in Our World, available on iTunes, uh, <laughs> <laughs> is that, you know, the more the more I learn about dogs, the, the more I realize I don't know and the more I want to know. And, and every whether it's I'm learning about dogs and philosophy or law or whatever it just opens these doors or it's like man i never even thought about that you know my philosophy and my perspectives are always kind of evolving and growing and um i don't know i mean i i honestly think that that my interest and passion for learning about dogs has almost become a bit of a fixation for myself um but that's why the podcast has kind of just given me an outlet i just had these things in my head that i wanted to share and and i wanted people to, to kind of know about the stuff i was learning because i thought the stuff that i've been learning about is valuable um but anyway so philly and then, um, you know, after being kind of the neighborhood dog guy in Philadelphia, I, I used the GI Bill to go to school um, in my last few years of in Philadelphia. And, um, you know, I was going to like taking a lot of business classes, taking, you know, studying business entrepreneurship and stuff. And so every single class, just about every class, you would have to come up with some sort of business plan or marketing plan or come up with some sort of mock business that you and the classmates would flush out or whatever. And and I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm I'm in my 30s, you know, doing my undergrad. So I, I've already got some writing skills and some life experience. And so I just wanted to write about something fun. You know, it's like if I have to make up a fake business, then I don't know what kind of fake business would be fun to write about and figure out. And so I just started doing like dog related businesses, you know, and um, um, and that just kind of made me just look at the business side of the dog industry and the pet industry and things like that. And uh and then, you know, as I was finishing up school, you know, they, they talk to you, they ask you, you know, what, what do you want to do? What are you going to do after this? Like, what, what do you want to pursue? And, and so many people around me, they, they wanted to do things that I just didn't see myself wanting to do in 20, 30, 40 years. And, you know, they wanted to create an app that would change the world or, mm-hmm. you know, go work at Comcast or, you know, get their promotion at whatever job they already have. And, and I'm thinking about this at home while I'm doing homework and I've got, you know, a neighbor's dog on my lap. And I'm just, I'm thinking, man, you know, if there's one thing I can see myself doing in 20 years, it would just be hanging out with this dog. Like that would just be fun or hanging out with a dog. And so I thought, well, then what do I really want to do? I thought, well, I'm, I want to figure out a way to make money or become a professional that gets to be around dogs. You know, like, how do I do that? And so I thought, you know, I need education. I need experience. I have to catch up with all of these people that have had dogs in their lives all their life. You know, I'm a little bit behind the curve here. Um, so what I need, I need, what do I need? I need education. I need experience. Um, and I, and I need to, to create some value. So maybe people would want to hire me to have, you know, to, to work around dogs and where do I want to be? You know, and, and my family, my family bounced around a lot. I was originally from Alaska, family moved to Virginia to back to Seattle, back to Virginia, and uh, I thought, man, not only do I want to work around dogs, but I want to work around dogs back in the Pacific Northwest. I'm mm-hmm. just going to do it. I'm just going to completely change my life. I'm, I'm going to just do this graduation, you know, in June. And then I'm going to get on a plane and I'm just going to go to Seattle and I'm just going to set up shop 
and I'm going to get education. And I looked up University of Washington, and they had a program in applied animal behavior. Um, Dr. Jim Ha and his wife Renee Ha created the program over at University of Washington, and uh, you can learn a little bit more about it in my most recent episode, Dogs and Science. And so I got enrolled in that program. It was a one-year academic program, kind of like a more like a professional certificate in applied animal mm-hmm. behavior, mostly focusing on domestic animals, dogs, cats, things like that. And then uh, I was like, all right, now I got I to get a job. I got to work with dogs. And so the first thing I could find and think of was going to Petco and becoming a dog trainer. So I signed up for that. And then um, that led to uh, finally having an opportunity to uh, get hired part-time by the local uh, county animal, animal shelter, um, which is uh, quite an experience working in an, in an animal shelter that has an open-door policy. Um, and I commend anyone who does that, and I thank anyone who does that for their, for their community. Uh, it's, it's such a necessary job that is often, just often goes unseen and unpraised. Um, and so now, and then here I am. And as I was learning all this stuff, you know, I was really just crash course, just living, eating, and breathing dogs and knowledge and canine science um, and behavior, animal behavior science. And I just like was learning all of this incredible stuff that was just blowing my mind and, and not just making me learn about dogs, but I was learning about people. You know, through learning about dogs, I was learning about people, you know. If and to you know, I can't even. I don't even have time to get and explain what I'm talking about. You know, <laughs> uh, listen to my philosophy episode. Listen to my law episode. I mean, learning about dogs taught me about slave law. Yeah. You know, learning about dogs taught me about Descartes, and you know what he thought about animals. And and you know, is it possible that what he thought about animals had any influence on how we think about animals today? Um, and and in my philosophy episode, he talks about. You know, if we can say that we know that there are pit bulls that are very calm and affectionate and loving and, and very sweet and don't ever get upset. And we know that there are, you know, uh, basset hounds that can be very emotional and reactive and, and get upset. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there, what I'm trying to say is that you can have a beagle that acts like a, a golden retriever and you can have a black lab that acts like a husky. Um, and so when people start generalizing breeds, you know, it almost he taught this, this philosopher that I interviewed uh, taught me how to think about breeds almost as we think about human race. You know, every person is unique. Every person comes with their own story and their own experience and their own personality. And, and so we have to be careful about how we generalize, you know, um, and, and I don't mean to disrespect anyone or, or <laughs> humans or try to I'm not trying to compare animals and humans too closely. But I'm just saying it's op- learning about these animals has opened doors for me to think about things that I never have thought about before. And it's just it's just I feel enlightened. And is that is that sort of how you got around then to the decision to do a podcast was as you're sort of you're taking in all of this different information from different sources? Um, was it finally saying, OK, I want to see uh, if I can put this together? Or did you have sort of a plan of this 10 episode season ahead of time everything was in my head this whole series was in my head and 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 it was crazy i was like uh, it it's just it's i mean i i guess the word would be cathartic when i finished this series because i mean i had this whole thing in my head now there was a couple episodes i didn't get to let's i mean first of all let's go back a little bit you know when i was in the air force uh from 1997 to 2002 i was overseas the whole time because i, I had a job that was um 
I was I was called a radio and television broadcast producer um, or a radio and television broadcaster. I can't, can't remember. Television and radio broadcast production, I think. Anyways, um, <laughs> if you've ever seen the movie, more, uh, the movie Good Morning Vietnam with Robin Williams, um, uh, you know, he was in the Air Force. Adrian Cronauer was his character. And Adrian Cronauer is a real guy. And um, mm-hmm. he actually trained some of the people who trained me when I was when I was uh, first got in the Air Force. And so that introduced me to radio production. You know, I, I would do the morning show in Iceland. I would do the, the, the afternoon rock show in Bosnia um, or, you know, or the morning show in Hungary or, or Germany. And so, you know, that was my crash course in kind of radio production and learning how to use a mic and editing. You know, we, Sadie, I think, was the very first software for audio and one of the first for audio editing. Um, and, and, I, and, and keep in mind, you know, this was 2002 when I got out of the Air Force. I was like, there's no way radio is going to be around. They got this thing called the Internet now. Like there's yeah. there, like radio is a dinosaur. I, I, I would call it the dinosaur. It's an it's a dinosaur of an industry. Like I, I need to get out of radio. It's not going to do anything. It's not going to go anywhere. The Internet's taking over. And then here I here we are, what, 15 years later. And I was like, man, I really want to share this information I'm learning about, but I want to do it in a way that's that's listenable, you know, not just me ranting into a microphone. No one's going to want to listen to that. And I had these episodes in my head, like, man, I want to talk about this stuff I'm learning about, you know, about the history of dogs and philosophy and law and all these things that I just, I was looking for a podcast. Basically, I wanted to make a podcast that I, that I wanted to listen to, but couldn't find, you know? Um, and so I was like, if I have these radio skills and I'm not, I haven't been in radio in years, I was like, podcasts, like, well, that's perfect. I can, I can dust off these old skills that I have, these 15-year-old skills, and just kind of adapt it for the new technology of the day or podcasting. And I was like, this is a perfect blend, a perfect match. I finally get to use all of these because I've, I've had so many various awesome careers, you know, everything from, you know, flying in an F-16, backseat of an F-16 and doing morning shows in Iceland to tour managing rock bands to, you know, moving to Philly and, and going to school and it, it was, it, I just, I'd never thought that I would be able to combine all of my experiences into kind of one project. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was, that was dogs in our world. And yes, I had every episode in my head. I, I, I knew that it was going to be a lot of work to do it by myself because I wasn't just going to sit in front of a mic and just kind of talk. Um, I knew that I wasn't, and I wasn't just going to cast a wide net and say, who wants to be on my show? Oh, I know about dog agility. I'll be on your show. I was like, no, I'm going to take people through a university. And so I actually looked up humanities um, topics, you know, like what if somebody if there was a college that just taught taught humanities you know, what would people learn about? Well, they learn about philosophy. You know, they learn about, you know, uh, medicine or health or, or uh, psychology or. Um, and so I basically laid out these subjects, these school subjects on a piece of paper, law, philosophy, sports, you know. And then I said, okay, now I have to go find the person who is the ultimate expert on this subject. You know, so, mm-hmm. I, so I found the guy who wrote the book, What Philosophy Can Tell You About Your Dog. And I just started just hammering him with emails and <laughs> phone calls. I just like tracked him down like a, like a creep, you know? And then, yeah, oh, I'm familiar with doing that. And then, yeah. you know, in leadership, like, all right, I, I want to learn. I, you know, I love, I enjoyed learning about leadership from the human aspect. What can dogs teach us about leadership? How should we view leadership um, as a way to, to, to have a partnership with dogs? And, 
And I think that, you know, we have a, I think many of us, especially in this country, have a kind of, have a very intense idea of what providing leadership is to dogs. You know, it's, just, it's because it's how we've been treated up, down, you know, I'm the boss, right? Mm -hmm. Do what I'd say now, 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 you know, and it's like, because we've been treated like that, it gives us a chance to now treat dogs like that sometimes. And so Julie Forbes, who, who actually hosts a radio show and, and she really enjoys learning and teaching and talking about the, 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 the subject of leadership, um, you know, I, I was able to get her on my show and Temple Grandin, right? And I, now Temple Grandin, yep. Temple Grandin, I didn't necessarily have an episode in my head that I knew I wanted to do and I didn't really have, so I had a list of subjects and then under the list of subjects was Temple Grandin. I had like, you know, dream, dream, <laughs> dream guests, right? Like if there was one person I could actually meet in person, who would I want to talk to? And that was Temple Grandin. And I just, I just lucked out. She was, she was traveling for a, a completely different um, event that she was speaking on an island, uh, on Vashon Island, um, which is just off of Seattle, uh, just outside of Seattle on, on the Sound. Um, and I basically just hounded her with emails and her staff, and I, I was just emailing the, the the college that she works at, and like, and uh, she was able just to, to squeeze in an interview right before her her public speaking um, or her speaking engagements. So I did have Temple Grandin as a person, not as a subject, but I but I had it in my head. You know, I, I wanted to learn. I wanted her to teach me more about um, the autism spectrum, and I, I know very little. You know, I have maybe a relative. I have a relative. Um, that's on the spectrum, um, but I, I, I knew very little about it. I never really sat down and really learned about it. And so she, she kind of introduced me to, you know, the autism spectrum and how we can think of it and look at it and, and how can, you know, maybe dogs teach us a little bit about autism. You know, she talked about repetitive behaviors, which is something that I'm familiar with from, from learning about animal behavior and things like that. You know, a lion that paces in his, in his, enclosure in a zoo you know or the bear mm -hmm. that you know shakes his head as you know nonstop. Um, and she taught me that you know the animals will will have these these stereoptic behaviors engage in stereo stereotypy and always get that word wrong um uh, because they're they're under stimulated you know they don't have enough enrichment they don't have enough things to do and so they they revert to this this repetitive behavior and then you know people uh, on the farther side of the on the autism spectrum will also engage in repetitive behaviors as spinning or or whatever it is but that's because they're overstimulated and she just yeah. she just helped me she just kind of held my hand and said okay you know this stuff about dogs and this is how you know you can think about these things with humans and and autism and i just it's just like what an incredible just what an incredible experience, you know, just, it wasn't just meeting someone famous. I wasn't just meet, getting to have my picture taken with someone cool. I had someone who, who just sat down and taught me, you know, it's just so, mm -hmm. just so special. And I'm just so glad. I mean, in the end, I'm glad that these episodes, of course, I'm never really going to be completely happy with my show. It was my first podcast. There's a lot of room for improvement. Um, you know, and I think each episode got a little bit better, but I'm just so happy I got to document these experiences and I got to record these, these conversations that if anything, I'm going to listen to for a long time. Um, and, and every time I, I listen to the interviews, I actually still learn a little something new. And, uh, thankfully I still have a lot of, um, uh, parts of the interviews that I didn't even get to use in my episodes, um, that mm -hmm. I hope to, to get out to people too. Well, and that was something I wanted to ask you about was the, the format, um, that you use is the more, what I would consider documentarian or NPR style. Listeners to this show know I pretty much I just record the interview and put it up. I'll do minor editing 
Uh, no, I'm I, I'm too know. self-conscious, and I got <laughs> and I have low self-esteem. So, like every single word that I put in my show is on piece is on paper before I record. Oh no, and that's that was my uh, my early stuff. When I look at that, yeah, I redubbed my questions. Yeah. So they would be more clear and concise. And I just, the show evolved for me. Oh, you like redubbing? Like um, you, you would ask the question after the interview and then plug it into the... In, yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. So, so like right now, you know, trying to think of how do I phrase this and so on and so forth. Now I just, you know, I, I had to go back and have a very written out version of it and put it in again. Oh, dude, yeah. Now it's, I, it's this is the interview. Um, but this, then there's nothing right or wrong about either style. It's entirely preferential. And You'll hear some podcasts that do this and some podcasts that do the the more NPR style. Was was that what it was? Just wanting well, it's to from get my training. The... It's from the Air Force training. So the Air, okay. the Air Force trained trained us to do you know what's called ENG style. So electronic news gathering. So you know mm-hmm. you're in Bosnia and you're and you're living in what was what used to be a a, a landmine field, um, or and, and you know you want to like quickly you want to very carefully walk to where you have to go record a story or who you have to interview and you want to get it done fast and get it back into the studio so you can start editing and then you got to get it up to the to the to the network we actually had american forces network which was a global um radio and television satellite network um you know depending on what country you're in depending on what feed you get um or you know you'd have to go into a training exercise where there's where you're sitting. I'm, I was literally sitting on top of a tank turret as it was driving full speed over, and I'm holding onto an antenna, and I got a camera over my shoulder, you know, and and I've got to get these shots, get it back in the studio, get it back up to headquarters. Um, and so yeah. I was trained in like the very traditional radio news style. You know, you interview someone, gotcha. you come back, you write a, fi- a you know two to three to five page script. You know, you plug in a soundbite. It's like, we're out here on the training field. And then you get a soundbite of some soldier. Yeah, it's real loud out here. And then you cut back to me in the studio. And yeah, they worked real hard. And ooh, raw USA. And then you cut back to them. Bam, bam, bam. firing the thing. And and so so I kind of adapted that style. And kind of what I did is I took that kind of ENG, old school news, radio news style. And I just kind of mm-hmm. elongated it um, and kind of stretched it a bit, made it a little bit longer. The soundbite's a little bit longer. And my narration is a little bit longer. And so instead of kind of making a two-minute um, radio story, I kind of have like a 45-minute discussion where I'm cutting into sound bites. I'm kind of cutting back into me for um, exposition and then cutting back. I, I mean, I feel like, you know, I also feel, I also knew that if I was going to make this podcast, you know, like I said, I wanted it to be listenable. I, I think people get tired very quickly when they're listening, their ears get tired, you know, especially in today's mm-hmm. age where there's so much selection and, every, and everything that you watch. I mean, think about how many shots are in a tv commercial you know next time you're, you're watching a t watching tv you know and there's a commercial break count exactly how many individual shots there are in that commercial it's fast there are a lot and you know many podcasts that i listen to if it's just a guy just talking into the microphone or if it's just two guys kind of bantering and just kind of not very focused i lose focus and i lose interest and i find something else so I, I wanted my show to kind of be tight. I wanted it to kind of have a radio feel, kind of like a produced feel, but still smooth in a way where you can come in and out of my interview and my narration without it being jarring, you know. And I'm sure the first, few, I'm sure the first few episodes probably were, um, uh, but that's you know. And I and so I was very serious about the format of the show. I mean, like I said, I had everything on paper um, even before I found the guests, you know. Um, 
and and I just also because the podcast is so much work, I didn't want to commit myself to it like in perpetuity or, or forever. I didn't want to like, all right, this is going to be something I do every week or every month forever, and then one day it stops and nobody yeah. knows why. So I always like having an, an end game or, or an, a, an exit strategy in pretty much anything I do, whether I'm living in living somewhere or, or working somewhere. You know, it's like, all right, I'm going to do this for one year and then I'm going to reassess. You know, and and the same thing with the podcast. It's like, all right, I'm going to do twelve, ten to twelve episodes, make a season step back from it, take a little breath, think about it, and then, you know, make the next one even better if I do another season, which if I do an, yeah. if I do another season, I don't know. I think a lot of that would have to kind of revolve around if I can find sponsors or something, because I just literally cannot afford to keep doing this show. <laughs> it's just like, like I'm renting, I'm renting Wait, a cabin it? on an island so I can basically ambush Temple Grandin on her way to a speaking engagement, you know, like. <laughs> like it, it's 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 not very feasible <laughs> this show i'm doing you know mm-hmm. traveling out you know driving out to olympia to you know to talk to a, a therapist you know to rec- you know, record an interview with the, with someone who does dog therapy um it's just like i don't know i i it would have been so much more cost effective if i did want to do a sh- if i could just get over my prop you know my my issues and just do a show where i do just talking to a mic or just talk to a friend about my favorite movie but you know i just i that's not what i had in my head that's not what i wanted to share with the public unfortunately well, and that's, I mean, there's two insights there for me. One is uh, you can look at remote what we're doing. Uh, there are ups and downs to it, and it can be a horrible, horrible headache at times um, and uh, create all kinds of different issues. Uh, the other thing that I find very interesting is how your history as a communicator um, didn't dictate but helped you form your show. And I look at sort of my background, which is print journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, you know, I think a print journalism story, news story is very similar in structure to what you would end up. That's with. one of the reasons why I like you. I like uh, your show. I was actually listening to an episode not long ago and I kind of had this, you know, your delivery is so great. Your voice is so great. And, uh, sometimes when I listen to some of your episodes, maybe at the beginning too, I just kind of feel like, I feel like, uh, someone's just kind of you're like you're reading the paper to me you know or like or like grandpa's kind of telling me the story of the day it's like hey boys i just read here that uh you know i was like oh, oh what's going on you know, i you think know? you're actually older than me so the whole grandpa <laughs> thing we're gonna have to have a talk about that later um now let's talk about the show though um I, I i listened to all the episodes i think i listened to the first four just casually listening and then i went so you listen to the, the worst ones you uh, listen to the to the worst sounding uh, ones thank you uh, I actually went back and found your raw edits on the internet <laughs> and just listened to those. Um, no, so the first one I th- I really enjoyed, and what was interesting to me is you are a dog trainer, doing a show about dogs, and your first episode was about yep. wolves, uh, which it is it makes sense, but is still very very amusing yeah. to me. What was the reasoning for totally. you to start with wolves for your dog Man, show? I, I love that question. And I'm just, can I just say again how, how much I appreciate you interviewing me? Because, <laughs> I, you know, I, this whole show is me recording what other people had to say. And I just, I love talking about dogs so much. And like, it's so honestly rare that someone says, yeah, you want to talk to about dogs? And so you just so let me know if I, if I get a little out of control, but, but, but your question, right. your, your question was you're a dog trainer and you, 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 you got this podcast, you're working hard on it. Why would your first show be about wolves? And, and essentially why mm-hmm. would I not do a show about dog training? Well, first of all, like I said, I had this passion for learning about the stuff I was learning and, and these kind of doors were being opened in my brain that I just never even considered. And the iTunes and, and Google play and Stitcher and all this podcast, wherever you, wherever you can find a library of podcasts, there are a gazillion dog training podcasts. 
if you type dogs, you know, in, into iTunes and you any dog related show is usually going to be about dog training or let me help mm-hmm. you with your pet or and I'm not looking to compete with all of those thousands of podcasts and I figured that there's plenty of great podcasts. Fernando, um, Fernando out of New Jersey, he has this really wonderful, um, very uh, tight, um, brief podcast where he puts out lots of episodes uh, about dog training, and, and he's a great guy. And you know, he, I'm probably not going to make a better dog training podcast than him. But what I was looking for was a podcast where I could really learn about history, you know, learn about the philosophy, law, leadership, sport, and all this stuff. And those podcasts didn't exist. Now, Julie Forbes does have a wonderful podcast called The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, I believe it's called. But, you know, and it's a wonderful radio program that's broadcast here in the Puget Sound area. Um, And so she does have kind of the podcast I was looking for, but it was basically a radio show that was recorded and then uploaded as a podcast. And I really wanted to do kind of like, like the show that I did. And so one thing that I definitely encountered as I was really gung-ho and, and hardcore learning about dogs and canine science and things like this was that there's some real heavy debates out there. You know, there's a lot of people who disagree mm-hmm. very heavily with other people. And um, I saw it as kind of a problem. I, I didn't like the fact that there were such hardcore emotional, I don't even know what the words describe, that these, these debates that people are having. And nearly all of these debates that people have, how we should view dogs, how we should provide leadership to dogs, what kind of relationship should dogs have with people? You know, a lot of these debates, people will talk about wolves. Well, you know, this is how wolves do it in the wild. So this is how we should, you know, this is how we should view the dogs and, you know, and you know, the whole like idea of alpha, right? You know, there's some people that say, no, alpha, they need to know who's boss. You know, you gotta, you know, you gotta be in charge. They gotta know who's in charge. And, and then there's other, the other side of the house says, it's not about alpha. Alpha isn't even a thing, you know? And, and by the way, you know, your beagle is not a wolf. And, and I think it's, and, and there's also a lot of egos to be honest with, with dog people, dog trainers. You know, I heard someone say the other day, the, the only, there's only one thing, what'd he say? He said, there's only one thing that two dog trainers can agree on, and that's that that the third dog trainer is wrong, or something like that, you know. <laughs> and I know I like and, that. And it yeah. limits us from learning. It limits us. It it, it makes people not want to listen when they find that the person they're they're listening to has a different philosophy. And really, a lot of it is just language. But anyways, I said, okay, if I'm going to start this story, if I'm going to start this journey, this year long journey of learning from the greatest people in the world that know about these subjects um then i got to start at the beginning all right because i I want people to know that you know i want people to know kind of where i stand um on this issues and the issues were going to be unavoidable um in fact i had to tell many of my guests hey just so you know i've already covered the alpha thing okay i got that out of the way in the first episode I actually went and met wolves. Okay. I talked to a guy who knows more about you or more about wolves than you. Um, so like, let's just move on from that. Like, and people still wanted to bring it up, <laughs> you know, because mm-hmm. it's just people, it's something that people are so passionate about. And I think a lot of it too, is just that in the last few years, we've discovered a lot more that we didn't know whether it be genetics or just in the science of behavior, you know, we know a lot more. And so there's the people that are just very passionate about kind of getting these new ideas, these or correcting old ideas. And so I said to myself, okay, I need to go find, I need to go to the source and start to, who can help me, someone who can just kind of help me start on a nice, 
a neutral platform to get the story going, to get this journey going. And so I said, I'm going to go have to find wolves and I'm going to have to find someone who can teach me about wolves and, and who can also not only teach me about wolves, but also has some experience with dogs. And because I was getting, I was just exhausted with having dog people try to tell me about wolves, you know, some guy at a dog park, yeah. you know, it's yeah. like some IT guy at a dog park with his super well-balanced, very calm, awesome dog. And he's like, oh no, well, uh, wolves, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, or people yeah. trying to tell me that, you know, well, you know, you need to be more of an alpha. Like I've been told you need to be more of an alpha. And it's like, what does that mean? Like, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. What, what does it, what does it mean to be an alpha? Because everybody seems to have their own idea, you know? And so I, so I found, I found a, a sanctuary, some, one of the, one, some, I think it was one of my co uh, classmates from University of Washington, because remember, I'd only been here a year or so. Um, I, I moved yeah. here right before I started the podcast. They said, hey, there's this place called uh, Wolf Haven International. It's about 45 minutes, an hour away. And they actually um, they actually have wolves, wolf-dog hybrids, uh, coyotes. Um, they even have Mexican red wolves there. And they're like, that's where you need to go. And I was like, all right. So I just emailed, I emailed the, uh, the, the sanctuary and Eric Wilbur was just so incredibly gracious. It was my, I'd never done a podcast episode before. So I'm trying to tell these people, let me hang out with your wolves. Uh, I have a podcast, but I don't have any episodes. No, you've never heard of me. No, you can't really find my show anywhere because it doesn't exist. But can I come do a, you know? And Eric was like, I know he was hesitant. I'm sure he was hesitant at first, uh, but he did. He he basically let me have a private tour. Uh, he opened yeah. the sanctuary for me. Uh, I, he didn't open it for me, but it wasn't open to the public when I was there. And um, yes, uh, again, can you imagine? Can you imagine a more incredible experience for a guy like me that that you know wants to learn? And so, and so this guy Eric, he he sat me down, you know, and and. He said, and we went through the debates that people have and the things people say, and and he said a lot of the same stuff that other people were trying to tell me, and he kind of solidified my stance on the whole debate, you know, and I just got it out of the way. I wanted to get it out of the way, and so then, and I wanted people to kind of start at the beginning, and so the episode, the first episode is called In the Beginning, uh, you know, where did these, you know, let's look at the, the, the first dog, right? The wolf. So then the second episode right after that was dogs in history. So in the first episode, we started at the very beginning with wolves. And then in the second episode, we talked about how dogs came from wolves. And, and we focused specifically on North America and how did, how did we even get dogs in North America? I found that a very interesting episode. Uh, I mean, uh, Mark Durr, the author you you uh, interviewed, the Gandalf, clear the, the, the doggy <laughs> Gandalf who lives in Miami Beach. Uh, he he clearly has like, a passion and a, a, a deep source of knowledge, and he went through what I would consider sort of the anthropology or the anthrozoology of our relationships with dogs in the distant past. But in talking about what I would consider. I don't know, you wouldn't call it modern technically, but relatively recent history. So the last few hundred years in North America, I was surprised and I had little inklings about this. I, I have not studied this, um, but I have heard, you know, in passing mention of some of this kind of stuff, some rather disturbing yeah. stories and disturbing and bloody yep. truths about dogs in North America. It was a history. tough call for me to do that, actually. I, I, I really debate. There's, 
there's a lot of stuff in a lot of my conversations that I took out that I had to edit out because I just, and I even had people tell me that they couldn't listen to the second episode and, or it was tough to listen to. And I knew it would be tough. Um, but you know, I'm not playing around. <laughs> like I'm not, yeah. I'm not doing, I'm not doing a podcast where we talk about puppies. I'm, I'm trying to figure out, I want to figure out what's, I want to know what's out there. Cause there's really not actually, believe it or not, there's not a whole lot we know about dogs. Um, mm-hmm. and, I wanted to get this stuff out and I wanted to get this stuff documented and you know, and as a military veteran, I'm, I talked about some pretty shitty stuff that the um, military has done with dogs. And, yeah. um, you know, well, that's, I was curious for your take on that because in, you know, the two, the, the, the Victor rights history, uh, or yeah. uh, that my bastardization yeah. of that quote, but, um, with your background, were you, prepared to hear the non-romanticized version of this history yeah so you know like i said i i got a late start in this dog game and um i felt like there were certain things that i had to do in order to kind of get caught up and to be able to say i know and i understand and um when i was doing the school program at university of washington i i was also looking at a lot of what was going on with the dogs in, in my community in the state of Washington in Pacific Northwest. And I noticed that there was this huge influx of dogs coming from Korea. You know, there'd be a, there'd be a local mm-hmm. news story, oh, a plane load of dogs just got rescued from Korea and they're going to be in Seattle homes. And I was like, well, what is this all about? Why, why are we getting plane loads of dogs from Korea and then put into our adoption system locally? Keep in mind, these are not these. Many of these dogs that are coming from Korea are not house pets who are just being readopted. You know, these are these are animals that are in cages like chickens. You know, and yeah. they're butchered uh, live often, uh, especially during the the festival season where there's a festival that that they they eat dog. That's the Yulon Meat Festival. Is that the I, one you're thinking I believe of? so. Or is that China? Uh, no, uh, I, don't, I can't remember which one Yulon is, but I just know that the what, the area that I was studying and looking at was was Korea, the Korean the Korean the Korean okay. meat dog or dog meat farms. And uh, I had to know, like I just had to know what was going on, and um, uh, you know, like I tell you what, man, I mean that for, I in order to know what in order to know more, I had to watch a lot of YouTube videos. And uh, mm-hmm. I tell you what, man, I, of all the stuff I've done and seen, <laughs> those videos are still kind of burned in my in my brain. Um, and I and I did it. I mean, I just felt like I had to do it. And there were classmates of mine that that couldn't do it and wouldn't do it. And someone had to do it. And I feel better for it. Um, same thing with, you know, th- that same kind of a mentality is was what made me do the second episode where we talked about that kind of heavier stuff and and i actually have remixed the episode i'm going to be putting out some reruns of my shows like i'm going to be calling them kind of like remixes um where i've kind of Mm -hmm. better added more music and music cues and things to kind of soften the blow of of the content that i'm i'm delivering um but that was kind of my same approach with the, the the dogs and history episode i knew mark Durr has been criticized for talking about this kind of stuff, the dark stuff, the real stuff, 
the real stuff yeah. that I believe has had an effect on our view of animals and dogs today. You know, look, when I was in when I was in Philly, there was a lot less white people in my neighborhood in Philly than there was in Utah. Right. And I and I noticed that there were lots of folks in my community, in my neighborhood that were very fearful of dogs, very fearful. I mean, they'd see one coming down the street and they would just run to the other side of the street. I mean, I took a puppy into an Apple store one time in Philly and I thought the place was going to clear out. I remember I was on this bus going to Center City or, or what many people refer to as downtown in Philly, Center City, Philadelphia, and someone, a blind person came on with a seeing eye dog and the dog was just like super mellow and calm and yep. the bus nearly cleared out people had a there was a panic there was almost a rush out the bus i couldn't believe it i couldn't believe it i was like well, what is this all about and i'm talking to mark Dury. he goes hey man it was not long ago that people were sicking dogs on protest marchers and so if you live if you're in a and and in philly there are there is still people who fight pit bulls you, you know yep. so if you live in a community where maybe someone's fighting pit bull gets loose on the street or your mom or your grandma had dogs suck on them because they were in a civil rights protest. Yes, that does affect your view of animals and dogs today. If that's the culture that you've, if that's how you've, have, how dogs have been used, you know, in your family's history, right? And, and I mean, I'm, it, it's, I know I'm sounding intense about this, but this is why I wanted to do this show. I mean, I felt that there was stuff that needed to be said and explained. And it wasn't even stuff that I felt needed to be said. There was stuff that I, I felt I needed to learn. And I was just going to share what I've learned. And, and like I said, you know, there's stuff with Mark Durr, there's stuff that Mark Durr talked about that I, I didn't even release. And I, I don't know if I'm going to. I, I might, you know, with maybe a little more explicit warning. Um, same thing with uh, Adam P. Carp, the, the law episode. I mean, he went into some pretty graphic um, um, mm -hmm. cases that he's dealt with and I chose not to air them and if you listen to my show really honestly it's not that bad I mean I think and I think maybe the second episode is probably the heavier you know and it, plus also the stuff we talked about in the second episode really did happen a long time ago we're talking about Columbus you know um, and the new world and things like that but you know I'm yeah I there are certain things that make me nervous and I can get spooked easily but if I'm serious about something I'll, I'll do what I gotta do and if that means I gotta watch YouTube videos of dogs getting butchered, or I've got to have Mark Durr tell me, you know, the stuff that I learned about, or I've got to have Adam P. Carp tell me about the cases that he's dealt with. And, and in fact, he's the one who's dealt with them, you know, and the animal control officers that I work with at the, at the shelter, you know, they see a lot of stuff and they see a lot of stuff that a lot of people wouldn't be able to, to handle. And I think that those people, I think the people who do have to deal with the stuff, the people who do go into the, the butcher farm and rescue the dogs, I think their story needs to be told. And it's not about talking about dogs. Yes, there are more important things than dogs in the world. I get it. But there aren't many, there aren't many people who are willing to do some of the things that I know people to do. <laughs> you know? And I think those people, need to be, those people need to be honored. And the people who are trying to tell the public about those people need to be honored. And that was part of the purpose of my show. And I think those would make some very good second mm -hmm. season interviews. And I mean, I have I have uh, enough unaired. 
uh, interview. You know, I have enough. I have so much leftovers from my interviews that I never use that I could probably do another three seasons and just pull sound. But I mean, yeah. you know, when I was at the the Wolf Sanctuary for the first episode, you know, Eric is very passionate about um, ending the cross the crossbreeding of dogs and wolves. He 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 is yep. not he is not cool with wolf dog hybrids because he's the one who has to live out there with these poor animals that are stuck between two worlds. They're they're too domesticated to be in the wild and they're too wild to be in someone's home. So these poor dogs are stuck in this purgatory for the rest of their life, you know, until until they go and another one comes into the sanctuary because it can't go anywhere else. It can't survive anywhere else. You know, um and so Eric, you know, he kept wanting to talk about wolf hybrids. And I kept saying, no, man, I'm here to learn about alpha. <laughs> tell me more about if this alpha thing is real. Like, what am I supposed to do about this alpha thing? And so I, I did tell him, I was like, hey, I, I owe it to Eric. I do owe Eric um, an, another episode where we can really talk to the public and try to educate the public about this whole wolf hybrid thing and how it's just, it's, it's, I, don't, I don't see it as a humane thing. We have we have dogs. Yeah. Why do you need to? Why do you need a, a wolf dog hybrid? I don't. Well, you know, I had an interview on that subject with someone from the Wolf Sanctuary, which I think is also out your way, um, in either Washington or maybe Colorado, and uh, we went over the whole conversation of why do people want these? Why, and it's, why I mean, do they we want? We could talk for hours about that. Well, her opinion that the woman I spoke with, her opinion was that yeah. it's a status thing. It's the the conquering of nature yep, and coming from Philly it to the and, home. And, and, and East Coast. I can understand that. I mean, hey, my family lives, my nephews and my brother live not very far at all from where Michael Vick, the football player, had his his dog fighting ring. Yeah, it's real. This stuff is still out there. I, I don't think it really happens a whole lot out here in the Pacific Northwest. There might be some some cockfighting or something, but you know, that there's in the south, in the east coast, northeast, there's there's still a lot of this stuff going on, um, and and it's and a lot. I'm sorry, and I, I went off track, but it is it is about status. It makes you look tough. You're insecure. Big old mean pit bull makes you look tough, just like a gun. You know, you fire a gun, the block clears. You have power. You walk down the street with a mean ass pit bull, <laughs> you got power. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, it's it's something that comes up a lot is the role that dogs fulfill in our eyes and as parts of our personalities. And that segues beautifully into the next question. Sorry to interrupt, but like Mark Durr Durr essentially told me, the the moral of what Mark Durr was trying to teach me, it wasn't just telling me gross and heavy stuff. You know, there was a moral behind what he was telling me. And what he was trying to teach me was that that dogs are what we make them, and they always have been, they always will be, mm-hmm. and I think that's why it's important to know about them and to understand them and to honor them, because they are what each individual person makes them out to be, and that can be a wide variety of things. And I'm sorry to interrupt, but continue. No problem, but that that yeah. still works into the segue. It's it's such a good segue, um, and I think this is this is telling of the way you set up these episodes. Uh, Doctor Stephen yeah. Hales, the professor of philosophy. Uh, when I saw you had a philosophy episode, I kind of went, <sighs> because I, yeah, I'm like you, I think and that's, I find it interesting. And then it's kind of like, okay, let's, yeah. let's move along. Um, philosophy 
for those who have not, I think, learned how to communicate about philosophy or don't have the basis of understanding about philosophy can very quickly become yep. overwhelming I agree. Uh, or dull. And your, your interview was well done in that it covered off sort of some of those basic questions. And one of the things that came up, I think my favorite part that sort of you kept circling around and coming to and touching in different formats was not so much how we view dogs, because I think that came up in a lot of the other interviews, but the question of how do dogs yeah. view us? Um, how did I, it's, it's one of those sort of mind screws, uh, which is not the actual <laughs> term, but uh, <laughs> we're trying to keep it somewhat friendly. Uh, uh, so it's, how do you sort of, how did you interpret that as, again, as someone who is not a philosophy major, um, how was that conversation for you and why does it matter? I think is maybe sort of the secondary part of that. Well, some of these, some of these episodes, I, like I said, I wanted to kind of learn about a general subject by using dogs as, as a fulcrum, you know, as kind of a focus. I, I've always been interested in philosophy, but I have always kind of found it overwhelming. Um, and, uh, it seems, yeah, I just wanted to, I just wanted, not only did I want to better understand just kind of the core concepts of philosophy, basically philosophy 101, I wanted the episode to kind of be a philosophy 101 where I could take the audience through if they had never taken a philosophy class, if it was just kind of philosophy was just a word to them, you know, if you were to take philosophy class, what would you learn about? And that's what I kind of delivered and how we did it. But also, you know, dogs and philosophy is kind of all over the news. I mean, there was a, a year or two ago where every outlet like Huffington Post, everybody, the big news story was, do dogs feel guilty, you know? And that was just mm -hmm. another one yep. of those big kind of can of worms that a lot of people seem to have very passionate opinions on. It's like, no, my dog knows when he does something wrong. He knows he does something wrong. You know, I could see it in his eyes. He knows. And then other people are saying, no, you know, that's that's the reaction that he's done out of defense or whatever. And, you know, it's much more scientific than that. And um, and so I just it was again where I wanted to not only learn about the greater subject of philosophy, just like I learned about law or whatever. Um, I wanted to kind of have I wanted to go to someone who really would know the answer to these debate or try to give me the answer to these debates, not just the answer, but insight. Of course, a philosophy professor is never really going to tell you anything. They're just going to leave you with more questions, which I was fine with. But at, <laughs> yes. at least I got to explore this stuff. You know, it's like, hey, doc, you know, Dr. Hales, yeah. did, does your dog feel guilty? <laughs> like, it, if anybody would know, it would be you, you know. And, and he was like, well, you know, sense of self. And we really don't know. And <laughs> um, but how but why you asked, why is it important? Why would why would people want to know how dogs view us? I mean, I, well, not only do why do they want to know, but why is it important that we ask the question? I think. For one, I just think. For one, I think it'd just be cool to know. I mean, when I was when I was a kid, uh, my grandma had a little Yorkshire Terrier and a cocker spaniel, and I just remember as a kid thinking about how cool it would be if the dog could talk. Like, what is he thinking? Like, what would he talk about? You know, like, would he tell me he's bored of eating the same food every day? Like. You know, I just I'm really interested in how dogs think. I mean, I do appreciate the mystery. I do appreciate. I think that's one of the things that makes me mm -hmm. so fascinated and, and, and wanting to learn more is because there is kind of a mystery that needs to be decoded about dogs because they can't speak. They can't verbalize how they're feeling. Right. 
And if you and if you spend enough time around dogs and you learn about dog behavior and canine behavior and things like that, yeah, you eventually actually do learn how to listen to them a little bit more. Um, but I think that, you know, if we knew how dogs viewed us, Julie Forbes in, in the leadership episode, when she was teaching me about leadership and what dogs can teach us about leadership and how we can be better leaders by learning from dogs, she said, you know, there's this big common misconception that that many people have about their dog, and that is that their dog loves to please. My dog just exists to please me, right? And she's, and she says, you know, your dog actually does what's best for them. <laughs> like, they're sitting because they want the treat, or they're sitting because they want your praise. They want your attention and your affection, just like we, just like we, we desire that from other people. Um, and so I think that some of these people who think that, oh, my dog lives, lives exists to please me, um, I think maybe some of them would be a little surprised if they really knew, if they really knew how their yeah. dog viewed them. You know, do our, our, do our dogs just view us as a source of resources, you know, or, or, or an access to, are we just access to resources to them? Do they truly love us? What is love? Are they our friend? What is friendship? What is French is, is, can, can it be a different kind of friendship than we have with people? Are they, do they see us as their friend? You know, I think it, I think it's different for everybody. I think everybody's idea of that is different and opinions on that are different, but I just, I, I just find myself asking these questions almost like I am a philosopher, but I know I'm not, I know I'm not, I never mm -hmm. will be, but I can, I can now understand, dogs have now made me understand what it's like to question big questions that are unanswerable but that doesn't make you want to have the answer any less. I know what I'm saying doesn't make any sense. And I know I'm probably the worst interview you've ever had, but <laughs> I just, I've never had anybody, I've never had anybody want to talk, no. let me just talk no. about dogs. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> well, and you know, that's one of the fun things about the podcast format is we can yeah. go on and on and on. Um, and it is interesting though, because I, I've done a bit of reading from different Different sources, you know, Temple Grandin, I've read some of her writing, uh, Dr. Mark Beckoff. He's great. If I, if I do another season, he's definitely, he's, he was on the list for the first season. I just, I just had so many other things I wanted to get through, but yeah, Mark Durr really wants me to interview him. Actually, I think Mark Durr emailed Beckoff. I don't know. Mark Durr was, Mark Durr was trying to get me hooked up with Beckoff and, and I will, I, in some way I'm definitely going to, I, I got to learn from that guy and I know he has a lot to teach me. Yeah. Yeah. Continue. Oh, he's, yeah, he's incredible. He just, he, he. Your, your brain yeah. just kind of melts yeah, and he wait. puts parts of it back together. Um, and, you know, Gene Donaldson, uh, Academy of Dog Trainers, who's done a couple of big books. Um, and they all have very similar ways of looking at it, but I find they ask slightly yeah. different questions. And that's what I find fascinating is they're all trying to get around the same thing. So, you know, you ask... Uh, you know, Gene Donaldson talks about uh, dogs being, as you sort of the way you were describing, sort of selfish. Um, and they're going to do yeah, what's best for them with us. first. And I think we, yeah, we do very similar things. And then Mark Beckoff will talk about how uh, dogs will feel, and they may feel emotions that we could label the same way as we feel them, but they're going to be felt differently yeah. because they are different. Um, and that doesn't mean they're less. They're just different. But it's it's very interesting. And I... Want to talk about the Temple Grandin episode? Oh, that was awesome. That was that was a trip, man. That was literally a trip. I actually had to get on a boat. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, 
she's she now she's a bit of a divisive figure in the animal rights world. And I and and I and again, my eyes were open to so many things that I never even knew. I I didn't yep. realize I thought that Temple Grandin was like this, you know, this beloved on a pedestal uh person and 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 in many ways she is and she is a wonderful person yep. and she is great and she has done a lot of great things. But then, of course, like I said, everybody disagrees with everybody. You know, that was one of the reasons why I did the mm. final episode with the science and trying to just kind of, again, get try to get objective with things. Um, but I had other I, I had I had guests who write me <laughs> and say, are you are yeah. you going to be are you, you know, are you going to be doing a softball thing like you did with me? Or are you going to talk to her about this? You're going to talk to her about that. And just like, no, <laughs> I gave you a softball. I'm going to give her a softball, man. I just want to learn the stuff that she wants to teach me. You know, like. I let you teach me yeah. the stuff you want to teach me. She's going to teach me the stuff she wants to teach me. Um, but yeah, she is, she is divisive, yeah. and I can understand why. And even actually, actually, I did attend one of her public one of her um, uh, speaking engagements, and she she opened the the floor to questions from the audience, you know, and and somebody you know someone someone you know threw her hard balls, <laughs> yeah, uh, from the audience. Oh and yeah, I was we, like, oh, we wow, hear, this is a thing, hear- you know. Yeah, and it's she typically handles it well. I mean, that's uh, you you can agree with her or disagree with her, but she is an incredibly intelligent woman who's accomplished a great deal in her life. Absolutely. Um and is is a wonderful she's written some wonderful things that I greatly enjoyed reading and has interesting perspectives. Uh what was the experience like for you? I've I've got kind of two parts to this. What was the experience like? You know, as you said you had to go to an island. Uh, and sit down from her and she is something of a larger than life character. Yeah, I was intimidated. I was nervous. So what was that experience like? And then I also want to ask your decision to do the unedited interview uh, as the as the post. Oh, that's because that's because I is, can only get twenty five minutes with her, as opposed to like the two or three hours that I'll sometimes spend with other guests. Okay, so there, there was a very straightforward yeah. for that. Uh, so what was it like though, sitting down across yeah. from her? I mean, you sit you sit down, and there's Temple so Grandin. I, I, I've, What's I've sat down head? in front of world leaders. I've sat down in front of uh, mm-hmm. rock stars. I mean, I've, I've toured with rock stars. Um, I've met very powerful people, you know, in the military, you know, I'm interviewing, um, you know, commanders of fleets <laughs> and, and um, yeah. you know, I, I documented the, um, the, when the, the first lady of Iceland passed away when I was there in 1998, you know, um, but and I've covered some really big stories and I've met some really great people. Uh, but I think Temple Grandin is one of the greatest people I've ever, I've ever met. And I was starstruck. <laughs> I was so funny. Like after all these cool people I've met, all these famous people I've met and hung out with, like I was starstruck in front of, in front of Dr. Grandin. So it all started, um, you know, like she was on, she was kind of on my dream list before I started the show. I was like, if there's one person I could try to talk to, if I could, it would be her uh, or learn from, I should say. And then I found out she was she was coming to Vashon Island, um, not far from Seattle, just a ferry ride away from Seattle. Excuse me, a ferry ride, ugh. a ferry ride away from Seattle is Vashon Island. And she says, "Okay, if you can meet me, you know, I don't." She said she didn't want to leave the venue. When you know, when she gets to a town, when she gets to a venue, she doesn't really want to like leave the venue. And I can understand that as someone who's the tour manager for bands. I'd always tell people, if you want to interview the band, you got to come to the show. You got to come to the venue. I don't want my band driving all over town when they've got a show to do or whatever. Um, and I agreed to that. I said, no problem. Um, but I also knew like it was a pretty crazy day. And, and, and she was like, just, just find me at the event and we'll do it. And I'm like, no, that your temple grand and on an island in the Pacific Northwest, you're like a God out here. Like people, 
<laughs> you know, she's you know she has a fan base similar to how rock stars have a fan base, and when she comes to town to do a little, you know, a little theater chat with the local residents, like she's going to be a rock star. So I was like, so I wrote her people back, and I was like, with all due respect, like that is not an option. Like I can't. There's no way I can assume that I'll just be able to grab you when you're surrounded by people yeah. trying to get your picture or whatever, and say, let's go do an hour interview right now. I was like, we got to plan something a little bit better. So the people, so her people were like, I think she, I think I was emailing her her staff and then she started emailing me directly. And, uh, and she goes, okay, well, we'll do it at the venue, but you know, we'll meet, we'll meet a couple hours before doors open or whatever. And we'll do it then. I was like, okay, great. But I was like, you know, it's a ferry right away. I don't want to be, I don't want anything to happen. I do not want to risk, you know, a car breaking down, the boat filling up and me not getting on it in time. So I said, I'm going to have to rent a place on this island for the weekend that she's there, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, so I got it, I got like this, I rented this amazing Airbnb that was very close, like less than a mile, uh, from the venue on the island. And, uh, I got all my gear out there and I actually made a little fun trip out of it and had some friends from out of town come and hang out, uh, at this, this vacation rental with me. And so the day of the interview, so she, she, she flies in to SeaTac. I think she went right from the airport, right onto the ferry. And, you know, she's probably exhausted, flying all morning, and I meet her at the venue. Well, I didn't realize that her event was the second event that the venue had planned. Um, so she was the evening event. I didn't realize that during the day there was a children's play. It was it was like, um, it was, uh, what was it? Uh, uh, blah, 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 blah. Tinkerbell and all that. They got it. Yeah, Peter, Peter Pan. Pan. So there's like a children's production of Peter Pan. So there's like kids running around everywhere. They've got the uh, they've got the audio from the stage pumped into all of the house speakers, like in the lobby and everything. <laughs> and there's like parents all over the place and cars coming in and out. And I'm like, oh my god, I'm supposed to interview Temple Grandin, like right now in this place. She's 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 coming from the airport. She's on the boat right now. I was like, what am I going to do? There's no, there's not one quiet room in the place. And the staff was, was trying to accommodate me and like, well, we could, there's a, there's like a closet over here in a kitchen and, and, and no matter where <laughs> I went, you could, the walls were rattling, you know, you could hear, you could hear everything on from the stage. So sure enough, Temple Grandin and, and Julie Forbes, Julie Forbes, who had I just interviewed for the leadership episode, Julie Forbes is actually uh, the one who um, rec- uh, uh, booked Temple Grandin to come to Vashon Island. And so Julie Forbes, you know, who I'm trying to be cool in front of because, you know, she was one of my guests, just, you know, rolls into the, the, the theater with Temple Grandin. And Temple Grandin, you know, she's wearing all, she's all dudded up. She's got her, you know, what is it, the, the, the bolo tie and the, 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 yeah, the ranch yeah. shirt and jeans and everything. And, and I'm just like, oh my God, I'm about to meet someone who, you know, I admire so much. And then also tell them that I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, like oh my god and i didn't want her to like say okay well i'll just go back to the hotel i didn't want this is my window so thank god i had rented that cabin or that vacation rental thank god i'd rented that cabin because there's no way she was going to get back on that boat and go into seattle you know what i'm saying yeah so because she had a speaking engagement to do in a couple hours and so i said miss i said dr grannon you know i just i can't do and we can't do this interview in this in the venue and i know you don't want to leave the venue and i know we agreed that we would only do the interview if we did it, it would be in the venue. I was like, but I've got this vacation rental. It's less than a mile away. I promise. And in my head, I'm like, this lady thinks I'm going to kidnap her. You know, she just flew in and mm-hmm. I'm like, yep. I'm like, get I in my car. That. Let's take you to my house. You know, <laughs> I've rented this. I've rented the cabin in the island for you, you know? And she, and she looks at, 
and she looks at Julie and Julie's like, well, you know, we could do, if we could do it fast, you know, if we do it quick, you know, I've got to get her booked into the hotel and, you know, she's got a big day at her. I'm like, yes, 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 yes. And Julie's like, did you even tell me that you were going to be doing it? I was like, I did. I swear to God, I told you, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and Dr. Grandin was so nice and, and just so accommodating. And, and <laughs> she got in my car and my buddy drove us back to the vacation rental. And, you know, I've got all my gear in like a Pelican case. Thank God I can have like a, everything's very yeah. portable. And so I was like, Travis, help me, man. Travis is, is my my friend and roommate, and he also um, produces music for the show. And I was like, help me. Come on, we got to get this set up like right now. And he's like, boom, just like, you know, he's done a lot of touring with bands and stuff. So he just like got right into stage mode and just started power. Give me a power drop. Run me another line, you know? And he's just like, he just basically like constructed a, a radio, you know, station, you know, in like 10 seconds in this cabin. And uh, Dr. Grannon, and, and by the time Dr. Grannon got done going over her notes and going over the questions, um we were ready to record and we just and she just i mean i hit record and she just boom lit up i mean just just did her thing like she just knew what she was going to say she'd set up you know many things of course she'd said before but this is what she wanted me to know you know and she she kept it on dogs you know which is kind of her to, to really kind of stay focused on dogs and i know livestock is kind of her thing um and she just lectured to me i mean i just hit roll and i just sat back and she just lectured to me i got lectured too by Temple Grandin and That's and I was able awesome. to get you know and, and Julie Julie Forbes was so nice just to stand in the back of the kitchen you know and just like she's like man I had so many plans for this lady right now like, this guy totally just ambushed me man and <laughs> and uh, she was so kind enough to 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 you know accommodate me too and um and it was like what was I mean I think really the the duration of our conversation is the duration of the episode pretty much I mean like 25 minutes or whatever and boom done thank you so much <laughs> drove her back to the to the venue uh where the play was wrapping up and uh um i mean i just i i got to hang out with temple grand and just me and a couple friends on a in a cabin on an island like i don't know like is there there's really not like i've really done some pretty amazing stuff in my life <laughs> like i don't i'm just this project just not only did i achieve any of the goals that i had before starting this podcast just there's experiences that i got to step back from and now look at and be like i never even thought that would have been possible i never even would have imagined that this project would have taken me to you know a sanctuary where i'm surrounded by wolves or hanging out in a cabin with temple grand and i mean i don't know i, I think i have the greatest dog podcast ever <laughs> sorry <laughs> To listen to Dogs in Our World, visit dogsinourworld.com or search for Dogs in Our World on iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. That's the show for this week, folks. Remember that all patrons will be entered in a draw to win a Defender Radio t-shirt next week. Just head to patreon.com slash Defender Radio to sign up and support the show for $1 and get your chance. Please also take a moment to sign up for Defender Radio email updates at thefurbears.com slash updates to find out about these contests, new episodes, and more. Until next time, this is Michael Howie for Defender Radio reminding you to stay informed and stay strong. <laughs> <laughs>